Think of one thing that you battle with in your personal life. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what it is. Something that most people don't know about. You may have more than one, but just think of at least one. Pick one. It could be good or it could be bad. It doesn't matter. You have it in your head already? We're going to put that to a side. Let's put that mental picture or image to the side. And by the time this service is over, you will be able to manage that personal and intimate difficulty. How? Because today I'm going to teach you a few more tools of how to deal with that. It's going to be different. It's going to be same message, but from a different angle. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I am Mark Hernandez. And it's a pleasure being in front of you again today. Four months ago, actually, let me present to you a problem, a math problem. Very simple. Don't worry. It's not out of the ordinary, plus or minus. Let's say you have $50 and you go to the store. Next. And we're going to spend some money and we're going to, for checks and balances, we're going to check this out and find out if we are doing our budgets or our work that we have in terms of managing our money appropriate. So let's say we go to the store next and we're going to spend $20 on an item. It doesn't matter what it is. How much do we have left over? 30. We go to another store and we want to buy another item and that item is going to cost us $15. From $15, I mean from $30 we have left 15. Oh yes, before we go home we have to find one more thing. So we go to another store and we spend $9. From the $9 we have left, six. Right before we get home, we realize, hmm, there's something that we really need. And so we go to the store and we buy an item for $6. And we have how much left? Zero. We spend the $50, there's nothing else in our pocket from the $50, that is. So we want to make sure that this is correct. We want to make sure that this is actually on target. So what do we do? We double check. So we're going to add how much we spent. And we find out that it's actually $50. But we want to make sure, just one more time. We're going to check that out. And we find out if you add up the right hand column, it comes to $51. Four months ago, thank you, four months ago, uh, I had the privilege of coming here and speaking to you about the power 
that God has given us, the power in our spirit, the, the power of uh, the spirit, excuse me, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of self-control. I mentioned one of the tactics or traps that Satan uses to try to make us stumble. Today I'm going to expose Satan a little bit more. The title of today's message is Exposing Satan's Tactics. One thing that we all battle with on a daily basis. But most people don't know about it. Why? Because it's personal. It's intimate. It's something that we have a struggle with and it's related to God or it's related to our walk in Christ. So nobody knows about it. These things are personal, are hidden from the average person. Three weeks ago in the Lord's Supper, our brother Cameron Broom shared a powerful statement. And just part of that statement is, Satan wants to divert your eyes. And he is so on target. Two weeks ago, Dean's message was entitled, What's in it for you? There is a lot. Last week, the message from Adel, thank you for it spoke, why do I go to church? Satan loves detached believers. Unplugged from the life of the body, isolated from God's family, and unaccountable to spiritual leaders. Because he knows they are defenseless and powerless against his tactics. So what is this tool? One of his main, Satan's main tool is temptation. So what is temptation? It is a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threatens long-term goals. In the text of some religious uh, religions, tempt temptation is the inclination to sin Temptation also describes the coaxing or including the in the in or inducing a person into committing such act by manipulation or otherwise of curiosity, desire, or fear of loss of something important to that person. This is according to Wikipedia. It's an enticement. So how does temptation work? It helps to know that Satan is entirely predictable. Yes, he is. Sometimes we go through life thinking, we don't know anything about Satan. Let me tell you how he works so that we can have an, the upper hand, perhaps. He has used the same strategy and old tactics since creation. All temptations follow the same pattern. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, and by the way, these are going to be in the New Living Translation. I'm going to be paraphrasing from time to time, so it's not going to be specific what's up there. And it says, we are familiar with his, that is Satan's, evil schemes. From the Bible, we learn that temptation follows a four-step process, which Satan uses, and he used 
on Adam and Eve and on Jesus. In step one, Satan identifies a desire inside of you, of us, of me. It may be a sinful desire, like the desire to get revenge or to control others. Or it may be a legitimate, normal desire, like the desire to be loved and valued and feel pleasure. Temptation starts when Satan suggests, with a thought, that you give in to an evil desire and that you fulfill a legitimate desire in a wrong way or at the wrong time. Always aware, be aware of shortcuts. Well, in the spiritual life. There are often temptations. Satan whispers in your, in your ear, you deserve it. You should have it now. It will be exciting. It will be comforting. It will make you feel better. Do you think temptation begins inside, outside of you? Think again. God says it begins with inside of us. If you don't have the internal desire, the, temp the temptation could not affect you. The temptation could not attract you. Temptation always starts in your mind, not in the consequences and not in the circumstances. Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 through 24, for from within, out of the person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. James tells us in James 4.1 that there is a whole army of evil desires within you. Or paraphrase, we are full of selfish, evil, sinful desires. After all, that's our human nature. Step two, doubt. He is really good at placing this in our minds. Satan tries to get you to doubt what God has said about the sin that you are facing. Is it really wrong? Did God really say that? Did he really mean it? Didn't God mean this prohibition for someone else in a different culture, in a different time? Doesn't, want, doesn't God want you to be happy? The Bible warns us in Hebrews 3.12, and I'll paraphrase it. Watch out! Don't let evil thoughts or doubt 
become any, make any of you turn from the living God. Be careful. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving or doubting, which produces the turning you away from the living God. Step three, deception. John 8, 44 tells us that Satan is incapable of telling us the truth, and he is called the father of all lies. Anything he tells you will be untrue, or sometimes just half the truth. Satan offers his lies to replace what God has already said in his word. Satan says, says you will not die. You will be wiser like God. You can get away with it. No one will ever know. It will solve your problems. Besides, everyone else is doing it. It is only a little sin. But we know that a little sin eventually mushrooms and blows up. Step four, disobedience. The first three are happening from the schemes of what is going on, not only inside of us, but also Satan has a hand on what's going on in the first three steps. In the last step, we make that decision. The fourth step is disobedience. It's a choice based upon our thoughts, based upon our doubts, based upon the deception, we have a choice. And that choice is that you finally act on the thought you've been toying within your mind. What began as an idea gets birthed into a behavior. You give in to whatever got your attention. You believe Satan lies and fall into the trap that James warns us about in James 1, 14 through 16. And he says, we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. Then our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear friends, and in this case, my dear brothers and sisters. Thank you for the song, Taylor. God restores us piece by piece. So how do we become and how do we overcome these temptations? We all know the verses. Flee, fight, all these things about what we need to do when, when we're faced by, uh, by temptations. Let me give you a different approach. The first one is refuse to be intimidated. Unfortunately, 
Many Christians are frightened and demoralized by tempting thoughts, feeling guilty that they aren't beyond temptation. They feel ashamed just for being tempted. This is a misunderstanding of maturity. You will never outgrow temptation, especially while you're living on this earth. We will never outgrow temptation. It will always be with us. In one sense, you can, you can consider temptation as a compliment. Why? Because Satan does not have to tempt those who are already doing his evil will. They're already his. So temptation, you can consider it as a sign that Satan hates you. Not a sign of weakness, not a sign of worldliness. It is also a normal part of being human and living in a fallen world. Don't be surprised or shocked or discouraged by this. Be realistic about the inevitability of temptation. You will never be able to avoid it completely. The Bible says, when you are tempted, it doesn't say if you are tempted, but when, and it will happen. And as a matter of fact, it happens almost every day. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, yet he never sinned. Temptation it only becomes sin when we give into it. Second suggestion. Recognize your pattern of temptation and be prepared, be prepared for it. There are certain circumstances that make you more vulnerable to temptations than others. Some circumstances will cause you to stumble almost immediately, while others don't bother you that much. These situations are unique to your weaknesses, and you need to identify them because Satan surely knows what they are. He knows exactly what trips you up, and he is constantly working to get you into those circumstances. Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, that is the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In another version it says, the devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. And there's five questions here. What, when, where, who, and how. We already know those. Let me tell you, what? Temptation, of course, that's what we're talking about. When, in other words, ask yourself, when are you tempted? What day of the week? What time of the day?
Where? Where am I most tempted? Is it at work? Is it at home? Is it at a neighbor's house? At a sports bar? At an airport? Or hotel away from home? Who? Ask who is with me when I'm most tempted. Are they friends? Are they co-workers? Is it a crowd of strangers? Or are you alone? How? How do you usually feel when you are tempted? It may be when you are tired or lonely or bored or depressed or under stress. It may be when you've been hurt or angry or worried. And it could be when you have just experienced a big success spiritually. The next suggestion, and it does not have to be at the end, by the way. The next suggestion that I have here is request God's help. Now, why did I put it at the end and not at the beginning? You might ask. Because when we become Christians, when we start our walk with Christ as a newborn Christian, we want to fix things. We want to get things as tidy, clean as possible before we go to the man upstairs. So eventually, when we first start, we start from the, we ask for his help after we have tried our best to fix the problem. And let me tell you ahead of time, as you probably already know, we don't have the power by ourselves to overcome temptation. We need God's power, God's love in our life. So as we become a Christian, it's going to be at the bottom of our list. Oh, yes, I do remember. I have to ask God for help. Eventually, as your walk with Christ progresses day by day, that last step is going to be closer and closer and closer to the temptation to the point that even before you leave the house in the morning or even before you wake up, well, after you wake up, the first thing you do after you wake up, there we go, you will ask, God, please help me. Give me your power. Give me your strength because I can't do this alone. Heaven has a 24-hour emergency hotline. That is awesome. You are, well, God wants you to ask him for help. He says in Psalm 50, verse 15, call on me in times of trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. You will give me honor. You will bless me, 
some of the other versions of the, of the Bible. It is quick and to the point. Call on me. We don't have to give him a huge discourse. We don't have to recite him the Bible. Help. God, I need you. Short. An SOS signal. That's it. When temptation strikes, you don't have to give them along this discourse. David, Daniel, Peter, Paul, and millions of other people have prayed this kind of instant prayer for help when they are in trouble. The Bible guarantees us in Hebrews 4.15 that our cry for help will be heard because Jesus is sympathetic to our struggle. We have a high priest that when we're, that understands our weaknesses because he faced all of the same testings that we have gone through, yet he did not sin. God love, God's love is everlasting and his patience endures forever. If you have to cry out for God's help, 200 times a day just to defeat a particular temptation, he will still be eager to give you mercy and grace. So come boldly to his presence. Ask him for the power to do the right thing. Furthermore, expect him to help you. Here's a bonus. Let me warn you of something that Satan is going to do or has actually already started to do since I came up to the pulpit. Let me warn you of something that's going to happen once you leave here so that you are aware of what he's about to do. Receiving the word is great. Reading about it is awesome. Researching, uplifting. Reflecting on the word. They are all useless if you fail to put them into practice. We must become doers of the word, as James 1.22 says. This is the hardest step of all, because Satan fights it so intently. He doesn't mind you going to Bible studies. He doesn't mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you gathering with other Christians. He doesn't mind you coming to the worship service or the second service on Sunday mornings. As long as you don't do anything with what you have learned. We fool ourselves when we assume that just because we have heard or read or studied a truth, we have internalized it. My warning, be prepared. 
Now that you have several tools to help you make some sense and manage the difficulty you thought of at the beginning of the, of the service, if you still find yourself struggling with this problem, I strongly encourage you to reach out to one of the elders or the leaders of this church. We have four of them, Bill, Randy, Mike, and Adel. They are here to help you, to guide you, to encourage you, to love you, to bring you to the feet of your Savior. We have a difficult time. We have a difficult path ahead of us as we struggle and as we fight Satan. But we can't do it alone. We can't do it isolated from people. We have to gather. We have to be in communion, not only with other Christians, but primarily with God. We have to have a personal relationship with God. This message was spurred on and inspired by numerous books, primarily The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warden. Let's close in prayer. Father, we know by faith we are not of this world system, but have a heavenly inheritance reserved for us in heaven. So we pray that we will no longer be conformed into the patterns of this world and squeezed into its mold, but day by day be increasingly transformed into the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to take every thought captive and surrender our hearts, surrender our lives to you in true obedience and godly humility. May we who are your children be drawn closer to each other and to you as you do a good work in each one of our lives. Continue to build us up into a strong spiritual house where Christ is a cornerstone and may you, you indwell in us. May your Holy Spirit who is indwelling in each one of us prompt us guide us, encourage us, and train us. Lord, we surrender all we are to you today and pray that we may walk in newness of love and in humble obedience to you all the days of our lives. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. Amen.